Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. A couple of months ago, my wife was training for a triathlon and asked if I would join her for a bike ride. Let me give you a little word of advice. If you know anybody who's training for anything and they invite you to join them, say no and run away as fast as possible, <laughs> okay? Uh, and so I'm like, ah, you know, Saturday's the one day I get to relax. She's like, ah, you could relax this afternoon. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, you go too fast for me. She's like, I'll go slow. Like, but I haven't eaten anything. You could eat a granola bar to tide you over, you know, so I'm not, now I'm running out of excuses. So I reluctantly agree. And we get out there on the bike trail. I have to admit, once I was out there, it was really nice, you know, getting out there in nature, doing something healthy. It, it felt really great, and I was really enjoying myself until I hit that first hill. <laughs> and now, all of a sudden, I'm having to work to get up this hill, and I'm just feeling my legs on fire. And then suddenly, I feel everything that I ate the night before sitting in my stomach like wet cement. All right, and I'm... I'm trying to breathe, and, and, and I'm working. I look over at my wife. She's just cruising right along, not even breaking a sweat. And meanwhile, I'm over here huffing and puffing like the big bad wolf, you know, and I'm just thinking, what am I doing? What, what, what am I, why am I out here? What am I trying to accomplish? I'm, I'm questioning everything. And then I'm also thinking, you know, the further and further we travel, that's the same distance we're going to have to double back on to get back to the car. And like, in my mind, I'm like, ready to just say, I, you know what, I don't got enough. And finally, I just say, I, I can't go on any further. So we stop, and she uh, pulls out of her bag this little uh, pouch that cyclists call nutrition. And it's this divine mixture of hydration and protein. Man, I sucked that little packet dry. And I got to tell you, within a couple of minutes, I was back at it. Man, I'm climbing hills. I'm blasting right by other cyclists, left my wife in the dust. I lasted for 30 seconds until she came whipping right back by me again, but that's beside the point. Here's the point I'm trying to make. That when I got tired from the journey and felt like quitting, my wife provided me with something that re-energized me. And I think that the Christian life is a lot like this too. Many of us, we give our lives to Jesus and we get out onto the course and we're going with energy and enthusiasm until we hit that first hill, until we start encountering some of those challenges in life. Those are the things that make us weary. And then we start questioning everything. What am I doing? What am I trying to accomplish? Is God even real? Is he even aware of my struggles? And you know when those challenges hit. The credit card bill arrives from all those Christmas gifts you just bought, and it's way more expensive than you thought. Christmas vacation is over, and you have to return to a job that's so far removed from the career you dream of someday having. You know, for, for some of you, you're thinking, it's 2023. I thought I was supposed to be married by now. I don't even have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I don't even have any prospects on the horizon. At this point in my life, I'd be happy with a pen pal in Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> and for, for if any of these challenges resonate with you, Maybe you're feeling like you're, you're tired and you don't want to go on. I want to be able to provide you with something this morning that could re-energize you for the journey. 
I'm not talking about an energy drink or a protein bar or a boost of caffeine. What I want to do is energize you with the Word of God. For us to look at the people who have gone before us who faced challenges in their journey, and to see how God intervened so that we can get back up on our feet and say, I'm still standing. And so to guide our time today, we are going to be in the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, make your way over to the book of Daniel. And while you're doing that, here's a quick background. Daniel takes place in Babylon. So what were Jews doing in Babylon? Well, they were, they were brought over during the Babylonian captivity. You see, God always had his hand of protection on his people. But the Israelites rejected God. They said, we want to bow down to idols, despite constant warnings to stop. So sometimes the worst thing God can do for us is to give us exactly what we want. And so he pulls his hand of protection back, and the Babylonian empire moved in, and they destroyed the Israelite cities, and they plucked the people up out of their homeland and replanted them in Babylon and indoctrinated them into Babylon culture. But there was a few who remained faithful to the one true God. Daniel was one of those people. And God endowed Daniel with special abilities like interpreting dreams, which came in handy because the king of Babylon had a dream that was so vexing, he needed somebody to help him to understand it, and nobody inside the entire kingdom could do it until Daniel stepped up to the plate, told the king the exact dream he had and its meaning, and when that happened, the king fell in love with Daniel. That's what it says in Daniel 2.47. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And he was so thrilled at what Daniel was able to do for him that he promoted Daniel to a position of mass influence. And Daniel was a sharp dude, and so he decided to do a little something for his own friends. Verse 49. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So Daniel got his three other friends, faithful followers of God, promoted as well. So the Jews had been through a lot being pulled out of their homeland, but for Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had things pretty good, all circumstances considered. I mean, they were in positions of influence in a foreign government, with a, a boss who loved them and was sympathetic toward their God? I mean, this was pretty good circumstances. It kind of be like you, you know, getting a job in a place you weren't crazy about living, but at least your boss loved you and you got to work with your best friends. All things considered, life was good until one day when everything changed. Daniel 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, kings back then did this sort of thing. They built statues and towers and structures to be a representation of their own power and glory. And so Nebuchadnezzar set up this big structure. It was probably an obelisk, very similar to what we have here in our country with the Washington Monument in our nation's capital. Only the one that Nebuchadnezzar set up wasn't white. It was plated with gold. 
And it was set up in a desert plain, which meant you would be able to see this thing from every angle. You'd be able to see it from miles away. Everyone traveling in this region would know that King Nebuchadnezzar was a big deal. It's kind of like when you were a kid and you went to the, the theme park for the very first time and you endured through that boring car ride, and then all of a sudden you looked up and you saw something up in the sky. It was the, the roller coaster track. And you see it from far away and your heart starts to beat. That's what the king was going for. He wanted everybody to see this structure from far away. Verse 2, he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the call went out to all of Babylon, which is a, a, a long stretch of land. That's modern-day Iraq, southern Iraq, stretching all the way to western Iran. And all of the important government officials were to descend upon the plain of Dura and, and be a part of this dedication ceremony. But they were about to find out there was something much darker going on here. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. This is a toxic mixture of politics and religion. King invited all of the political officials to show their allegiance to him by worshiping this structure that, that represented his power. Your godliness would be measured by your loyalty to the government. And so everybody around was, was instructed to be a part of this worship service. I mean, he had abandoned everything, instruments playing. And when the music swelled, every single person there, man, woman, and child, they had to show their loyalty to the king. And he'd find out right away who are the people in his kingdom that are not on his side. And so when that music fired up, everybody there fell flat on their faces worshiping this image. Everyone that is, except for three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys were likely off in, in the fringes, but somebody spotted them and ratted them out to the king. Here's what they told Nebuchadnezzar, verse 12. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, what's interesting is we have no idea where Daniel is during this time. He was likely off for assignment. But if he was there that day, there would have been four people still standing. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? See, all eyes are on the king. They're going to see if he really meant what he said. Would he really throw three people in his own cabinet, high-ranking officials, into a blazing furnace. And so he wanted to give these guys a second chance. He brought them in front of him. Is it true? So he gave them the chance. Verse 15, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, 
you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Ever heard of the Burning Man Festival? That didn't start in a desert in Nevada. It started in a desert in Babylon. And at this festival, a man would literally burn. And Nebuchadnezzar asked a very provocative question, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? There's a lesson in here for all of us. Be very careful about picking a fight with God because God loves to show his power, which is great news if you submit to him, but terrifying news if you mock him. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. How do you think this went over with the king? When you're the most powerful man in the world, the last thing you want to hear somebody say is, you don't have the power you think you have. Reminds me of when Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate said to him, don't you realize I have the power to free you? And Jesus said, the only power you have is the power given to you from above. Here's how Nebuchadnezzar responded. Verse 19, he was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. What those Hebrew men experienced that day is something that millions of believers face even today, and that's persecution where literally they have to choose between their life or worshiping other gods. This story takes place in, in ancient Iraq. But in modern-day Iraq, this sort of thing is still happening. It's amazing how little has changed in a few thousand years. Iraq continues to be one of the most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. I was just reading this past week of an Iraqi believer by the name of Yuhana. And when he surrendered his life to Jesus, his wife and children immediately left him. He was then severely beaten by his extended family. And then he was thrown into prison, all in an attempt to get him to reconvert back to Islam. But he held his ground despite the fact that his, his freedom was taken, he lost everything with his family, and his, his body was beaten so bad, he's left with a, a chronic condition that's leaving him deteriorating physically. And when somebody asked Yuhana how they could pray for him, his response was, pray that I could be an encouragement to other believers in Iraq. The kinds of things talked about in the Bible are still happening today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew exactly what they were doing when they chose to disobey the king. They were signing their death certificates. And imagine the terror of being bound up in ropes as you're watching uh, the soldiers throw fuel on the flames to get them even hotter and hotter. 
And imagine the anxiety as you're being brought up to the top of this furnace. And there they were, thrown to their fiery death. But God had other plans in mind. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. It was a miraculous turn of events. God protected these men from the fire and sent divine help. Now, there was an opening at the bottom of this furnace where they would load in all the wood, and so the king had a perspective inside that furnace, and he fully expected to see these three men reduced to a pile of ash. And instead, what he saw were a couple of guys walking around in the furnace like some old dudes at the sauna in Gold's Gym. <laughs> walking around. And, and, and they received some kind of divine help. And so this is what the king does. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. I love that last little detail, because who's the guy sniffing them? You know, I don't want to smell like fire. You know, if I sit in front of a campfire for five minutes, I smell like smoke for two weeks. These guys didn't even smell like smoke, which testifies to the completeness of this miracle, that God truly delivered them. And when Nebuchadnezzar laid eyes on this miracle before him, he made this confession the second time he did this in his life, verse 28. And Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, sometimes when we read stories like this that have a miraculous ending, we quickly dismiss them as one-hit wonders because we think, yeah, but where's my miracle? Because I'm asking God for a lot of things, and it doesn't seem like he's hearing me. Friends, listen, this story goes way deeper than just a miracle. This is a story about Three believers who decided to take a stand, who decided to refuse to bow. And I think there's a lot of lessons we could learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because here's the reality, that for many, many Christians, it's so much easier to just bow. It's so much easier to just quit. It's so much easier to just give in. But easier is not better. And I believe God is calling the church to step up, to get back on our feet, to stand on the word of God and say, no matter what situation is thrown at me, because of you, God, I'm still standing. And if you want to be a person like this, there's a couple of things that we have to stop doing. And I've identified just a few of them. Here's the first one. Number one, don't bow to popular opinion. Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of gold, commanded everyone to worship, and then dared anyone to defy him. And you remember what happened. You remember how people responded. Daniel 3, 7. 
Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold. Or another way to say it is, everybody's doing it. Literally, everybody did it. And one of the great temptations a follower of Christ is going to face is to just bow to popular opinion. Because in case you haven't checked, following Jesus is not the popular opinion of our culture. You know, there's been a movement that's been happening for several years amongst Christians called deconstruction. And it's the process of one dismantling their faith because they've come to realize that the things they were taught as kids no longer work in real life. And I think it's very healthy for all of us to assess, what do I believe? What have I been taught? How do these things merge with the experiences I face in everyday life? But what's so sad to me is that so many Christians who have deconstructed their faith never bother to reconstruct it. They just took it apart. They stopped seeking the truth. They stopped earnestly looking after God and just walked away. And in my experience, what I've seen is almost always the impetus that gets people to deconstruct their faith is sexuality. For so many Christians, they just can't believe the biblical conviction that sex is to be enjoyed between one man married to one woman under one God for one lifetime. The the voice of our popular culture has a massive problem with that. And in fact, if you're a Christ follower and you don't fully agree and support the LBTGT movement, then you are labeled as a a hater, as a bigot, and, and someone who is hypocritical because Christians are supposed to love everyone. Isn't it possible to love someone and disagree with them? You know, a couple of weeks ago, President Biden signed a bill called the Respect for Marriage Act, which gave federal recognition to gay marriage. And he said in his speech, today we dealt a blow to hate in all its forms. And when I heard that, I thought, so if I hold to the biblical standard of sexuality, I'm somebody who's filled with hate, can't I still love somebody and also disagree with them? Jesus did it all the time. Jesus straight up shared meals with people that he told, you're living in sin. It's like, you're collecting taxes. You're sleeping with all these people. You're robbing people. Please pass the potatoes. <laughs> Jesus called people out on their sin and still loved them in the process as he held to his convictions. And, and for so many of us, I think the temptation is, I just need to cave I can't stand up anymore. And I believe God is calling us. Who's going to stand up? You know, the, the political tone in our world these days is so angry and divisive and filled with mudslinging. And I've seen many well intentioned Christians get caught up in that same thing. I think we ought to take a page from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Look at how they approached their situation. Verse 16, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is a beautiful example of civil disobedience. You know, these guys experience something that perhaps may be possible for you and I to experience in our lifetime, and that is what do you do when you have to choose between obeying God or obeying the law? We have to obey God every time, but here's the key. You do so respectfully. If you search the pages of Scripture at the people of God who stood against civil authorities who were running counter to God, you'd be hard-pressed to find even one that did so disrespectfully, including Jesus himself. The reality is that Christians are called to gentleness and respect. And just because the talking head on your favorite news station is disrespectful doesn't mean you have to be either. Friends, we can't ebb and flow with the tides of culture. At some point in time, we got to say, I'm drawing the line, I'm not bowing down, I'm standing on God's word, and when the winds of popular opinion blow, we're not going to get knocked down, we're going to say, no God, I'm on your rock, I'm still standing. <laughs> Don't bow to popular opinion. Here's the second one. Don't bow to prideful independence. Inside every single one of us is a desire to say, I can do this on my own. There is a competitive fire burning inside every single one of us that's trying to prove to someone, I got what it takes. Maybe that person is a parent. Maybe that person is a boss. Maybe that per person is an ex. But we're trying to prove to somebody, I got what it takes, and I can do this, and I'm going to do it my way. That's called prideful independence. Do this for me right now. I want you to think in your own life, what is the number one sin struggle you have? Most of us don't have to think too hard about that. Now, here's two follow-up questions. Who else knows about it, and who's helping you gain some victory over it? I'd be willing to guess that most of us in the room and online would answer both of those questions by saying, no one. That's prideful independence, and it might just be our downfall. You know what's so interesting about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're mentioned something like 13, 14 times in the entire Bible, and not a single time are they ever mentioned as individuals. They're always mentioned as a trio. They were promoted as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood together. They were arrested together. They were tied up together. They were thrown in the furnace together, and they came out of the fire together. And even after that, they were praised together. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar's words in verse 29 of Daniel 3. He says, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. These guys' very identity was that they were a package deal. Not once do you ever hear about Shadrach by himself. We never hear any stories about Meshach at the workplace. You never hear about Abednego the loner. Every time you read these guys' names, it's always Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They came together. And I just wonder, was there ever a point where one of the three was staring at that golden image and thought, I don't want to die. Let me just get down on my face and get this over with. But what if they looked to their left and their right and they saw two brothers still standing, and that's exactly what they needed to endure. These are the guys I wonder maybe Solomon was thinking about when he wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 4 when he said, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Who are the people standing with you? Do you have some people in your corner who are standing on biblical convictions? People who are, who are standing and, and helping you grow in your relationship with Christ? Or are the people in your corner the kinds of people that are flat on their faces before the band even strikes up the first note? And some of you are coming into 2023 and you're telling yourself, I've got to get some new friends. I've got to get some new people in my life because this isn't working. Well, being at church is a good place to start. Your next step is to join a small group. Get some other people in your life that are going to help you stand when it counts the most. Friends, you and I cannot do this alone. Don't bow to prideful independence. Don't bow to popular opinion. Don't bow to prideful independence. Here's the third. Don't bow to personal benefit, meaning this that when your primary decision maker is what benefits me the most, you're missing it. Because the reality is what may benefit you the most may hurt somebody else. Shadrach, Meshach, and, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood this because you remember what happened when the music sounded. Verse 7 of Daniel 3, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold. You know who would have been included in all the people of, of the nations? Bowing down before the idol that day would have been plenty of Jews who still believed in the one true God. And they would have seen their fellow countrymen take a stand, quite literally, even though it cost them their life. And they would have seen their fellow countrymen tied up and thrown into the furnace. And they would have seen their fellow countrymen come out of the fire. Can you imagine what that did to their faith? Can you imagine a, a, a Hebrew person who saw that and they wiped the dirt off their head and say, why am I bowing down to idols? This is what got us in this mess in the first place. Friends, what got you into the mess is not going to be the same thing that gets you out of the mess. You have to do something different. You know, one of the worst pieces of advice we give ourselves and others is follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Don't let the haters stand in the way. Follow your heart. Friends, if I followed my heart, I'd be dead. Because my heart is deceptive. My heart wants things that are not good for me. My heart chases after things that are not good for others. And sometimes when I follow my heart and, and do what's just best for me, I lose sight of the, the impact it can have on other people. Because friends, People are watching you. Make no mistake, your coworkers are watching you. They're going to watch how you handle that unfair situation at work. Your family is watching you. They're watching to see if, if this Jesus thing you're talking about is just another one of the many fads you've jumped on and off of over the course of your lifetime. And if you have children, you better believe they're watching you. They're trying to figure out 
is the God my parents worship the same God I want to worship? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that there was something bigger going on here. And if they just followed their heart, they never would have went into the fire. Because if I follow my heart, if I just go for my own personal benefit, I guarantee those guys had no desire to be burned alive. But they decided to not do what benefited them and focus only on what benefited others amidst their own personal obedience. And what's interesting is if we are always bowing to personal benefit, we will avoid every fire in life, which is sad because we all know it's in the fires where we experience God the closest. I loved what, what Nebuchadnezzar said when he looked inside the furnace in verse 24. He said, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around the fire. Who was that fourth man? That was almost certainly Jesus himself. Pre-incarnate Jesus. Pre-human skin Jesus. Pre-baby in a manger in Bethlehem Jesus. What a powerful picture. Jesus doesn't just shove you in the fire. He gets right in there with you. And by all indications, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had no plans of coming out of the furnace. For them to come out of the furnace would have actually been a letdown because they understood something so powerful. I'd rather be in the fire with Jesus than be in comfort without him. And, the, and, and Jesus himself gets into the flames in your most fiery trials. And some of you have walked through fires this past year. Some of you have experienced unspeakable tragedy. Some of you have watched important relationships crumble. Some of you have had to make impossibly hard decisions for your kids, impossibly hard decisions for your parents, life-changing decisions at work. But didn't you have a sense that all the while Jesus was right there with you, empowering you and refining you? That ought to encourage you to keep going and to boldly declare, I may be thrown in the fire, but I am not alone in the fire. Jesus is right there with you. But if you only bow to personal benefit, you may miss that kind of experience. Hang in there. Don't quit. Give God a chance. We can't know what he's up to, but we can know this. He's right there in the flames with us. Friends, the reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to take their stand is that they were confident that this was not the last chapter of their lives. They knew that God was either going to miraculously deliver them, which he did, or if he didn't, that they would spend eternity in heaven with God. They had that full assurance. Do you have that same assurance? If you were to die today and stand before Almighty God, do you have that assurance that you would be in his presence in heaven? Some of you might say, well, I, I'm just hoping that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Friends, I don't want to stake eternity on a fingers-crossed hope that I did more good things than bad things. And not only that, but good things don't get you into heaven. That's just faith in you. That's just faith in your own ability to do good things. Faith in yourself is not what gets you into heaven, only faith in Jesus Christ. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 10. It's so simple. 
He says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you ever made that confession? Have you ever believed that Jesus, I believe in you. Help me live for you now. If you've never made that confession, don't leave here today without doing so. In fact, I want to help you start a relationship with Jesus right here, right now. In just a moment, I want to lead you into prayer. I'll give you some words to pray, but you've got to own them and pray them yourself. And if you want to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then I want to challenge you right now to give your life to him. I want to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're ready to invite Christ into your life, then I want you to repeat these words in the silence of your own heart right back up to heaven. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe you died in my place. I believe you can forgive sins. I believe you raised back to life. And today, I ask you to come into mine. Forgive me, Jesus. Change my heart so I can leave my old life behind and follow you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer for the first time, this is what I want to challenge you to do. On your program is a little card, and at the bottom is a box that says, I said yes. You just fill that out, check that box, and in just a moment when our ushers come around with the offering, you could tear off that card and drop it in, and one of our staff members will follow up with you to help you get going in your relationship with Christ. Those of you watching online, there's links that you could follow. Maybe you've prayed and received Jesus, but you haven't taken that next step. Here's how to do that. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. There are some of you are saying, I have to join a small group. We have some great opportunities coming your way now. Maybe some of you want to serve. You just need somebody to talk to. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or before you leave this building, you stop by the next step table and somebody's there waiting to have that conversation with you. Friends, this story began with three men standing, but it ended with four men standing. They refused to bow. And I think that's what God's calling us to do as well. We don't have to bow to personal. We don't have to bow to popular opinion. We don't have to bow to personal benefit. We don't have to bow to, to our, 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 our own independence, our prideful independence. We don't have to bow to any of those things. We too can take a stand. And I believe that's what God is calling all of us to do. To stand up on his word and with him at the center of our lives, believing in faith that Jesus is with us in the fire, we can boldly declare that God, because of who you are and what you've done, I'm still standing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these amazing accounts from the Bible, and I pray that you would use these to energize us to stay in the fight, to persevere, to not give in, to give you a chance, God. Thank you for the fact that you don't just abandon us, you don't leave us or forsake us, but you get down in the fires with us. And Lord, I pray for anybody right now who's in the fire. Lord, would you comfort them? Would you strengthen them? Would you help them to know 
that this is not the end, that there is a beautiful tomorrow if they could just hang on with you. Father, for anyone who trusted you with their life today, Lord, I pray that you would not let the weeds grow around their feet, but that they would continue to chase after you, that we could see more stories of changed lives like we saw today in baptism. Father, we thank you for the fact that you love us so much that you are not willing to leave us to ourselves, but that you come to us and you help us in our time of need. And so now as we take offering, Lord, may you bless the sacrificial gifts. May you bless the giver. May you use these monies, these tithes, these offerings to make a ministry impact all over the world. We trust our lives in your hands, almighty God. And if you believe this in your heart, then let the church say, Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.